You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Jordan Lamb, the CEO of the popular brand Moxie, became aware of cannabis as an alternative medicine when his younger sister fought for her life, battling leukemia as a child. Later, Jordan began to work in the medical side of the industry in California during the early days, when he became an advocate for the plant and its medicinal powers. Today, Moxie is winning licensing deals, has had a couple of successful exits, and has a partnership with a big MSO. Jordan talks about how Moxie is overcoming slim margins and onerous regulations as they navigate the marketplace and their expansion plans. Let's meet Jordan Lamb. Hi, Jordan. Hey there. How are you guys? Good. Good. Hey, where are you today? I am in uh, Scorching, Las Vegas. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Pretty close to 110 today. Yeah, I'm in New York City, and it's hot and humid. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. I've been reading all about you and Moxie and um, kind of curious to dive in. I guess we'll just start with um, a little background on you and how you got into the industry. I, I believe I read that Moxie was started in 2015. Yeah, the the brand came about in 2014 and then formally got going in, in 2015. Um, yeah, it was a, a group of four founders that come from the industry from the olden times. Um, I personally have been in the space about 15 years now. So it makes me something of a dinosaur relative yeah. to the sector. Um, but yeah, I started out uh, real early on, like just on the advocacy front, because um, I was not brought up in an environment where cannabis was, you know, thought of in a positive light, let alone something that could be used as such a great therapy, as we know it can be today. And I, I lost my younger sister to leukemia very young. And, you know, we spent many years going through all the the medical systems for cancer treatment, you know, Sloan Kettering, UCLA, NYU, and, um, you know, the stuff that you do to, to kids to get them better when they've got these terrible diseases is, is pretty incredible. You know, it's so much pain and suffering in the name of getting better. And so as I got older and started to get turned on to the idea that maybe everything we learn about cannabis is when we're growing up as kids isn't accurate. Um, you know, just the idea of something that allows people to take their health care into their own hands to some extent and that it doesn't have to suck just really appealed to me and um you know started out uh really just working directly with patients and um with advocacy groups nonprofits that would really just educate and uh you know over the course of many years now it's been that's evolved into uh into the business side of things as well and Moxie specifically came about because I was working in uh, the medical retail side of things and, you know, patients would come in and, and find therapies that really worked for them, but there was just no consistency and no reliability that they could even get something that worked great for them more than one. And uh, around that same time, you know, manufactured goods were starting to come about, like really pre-vape pens and any sort of high-quality edibles. And so, you know, we saw this opportunity not only to create uh, a brand name that wasn't 
um, overly green and covered in leaves and using you know, canna monikers that um, uh, it was a huge opportunity to brand and create that reliability and that trust with the consumers. And we've been very fortunate that um, you know patients and adult use customers alike have really resonated with the brand name and the quality of the product that we've produced. And that's been our, our mission ever since, just to stick stick with that plan and, and try to create something that stands for what we hope the rest of the industry will will fight for, which is a a, a high standard for an industry where consumers and our success really stands on the shoulders of people who uh, you know, fought for alternative therapies. It's, it's not just about this huge, you know, global economic opportunity that there is now, which is great too, not to denigrate that at all. But um, at the end of the day, we're only standing here today because people fought for their rights to access things that um, would be better for them. And so that's, that's been the foundation that, that got Moxie going. That's a great story. I, I, I didn't know um, that you really came into it on the, the medical side. Yeah, we we started out in uh, in California in the medical market when it was still the Prop 215 collective cooperative marketplace, where we would provide um, to different collective cooperatives the know-how to produce the products that uh, you know we make now ourselves on a broad scale, as well as um, the right to license the brand name. And uh, that very quickly expanded into a couple other states. We teamed up with uh, one of the first operators in Nevada to. Uh, opened the very first volatile manufacturing facility out here. That was back in, I think, 2015 as well. And, uh, yeah, we've been, you know, winning licenses and, and doing partnership deals ever since and have gotten into a number of states. We've also had a couple of successful exits in a couple of those marketplaces. Um, you know, mainly we had uh, Pennsylvania where we won one of the first 12 grower processor licenses with a really great group, local entrepreneurs, doctors, investors, and uh, at the end of 2020, we, we sold that business to Trulieve, who now continues to produce our products and who we're uh, a meaningful shareholder of and very excited for the future of that market and teaming up with, with the, the big guys and to continue on the mission with people that we align with. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Pennsylvania is still medical, so so you're entering there in the medical market as well. Do you do you do you brand it differently in your in the medical market versus the rec market? Just the same brands across both markets. For the Moxie brand, which is our our main brand, uh, it's only different insofar as there's requirements for uh, different aesthetic and packaging regulation. You know, some states, uh, for instance, we're about to launch in the medical market of Utah. We just got our license there this week. Through processing. And, uh, you know, they have a pretty strict new set of rules on packaging. You know, they don't, they don't want it to be um, very merchandisable on, on a shelf. You know, they're, they're taking a very phar pharmacy approach to it. Um, but we do have a couple other brands that we do right now just in California that skew a little bit younger and a little bit more whimsical. And, uh, you know, if you're a regulator, you'd say it skews a little more recreational. So we don't have those ones in the medical markets. Um, but we try to keep everything, you know, not only from the product, but also the way that it looks as consistent as possible across markets because, you know, our, our long-term belief is that the, the best value for our business is going to be in, in the brand because that's what's recognizable. And we have a, a funny saying we say internally that um, the brand is bigger than the business. You know, the perception of the reach and the awareness is, is so much greater than 
you know, where we're actually selling products or our revenue today. And that's uh, what we continue to focus on because as long as that remains to be the case, there's just tons of opportunity to continue entering new markets and getting the brand into the hands of more consumers. We have a funny thing that happens where, you know, Pennsylvania is a great example and Utah now as well. Long before we ever, you know, get product onto the shelves, there's a huge level of awareness and demand for the products because the, the name just has a lot of carry because we've been around right. for yeah. so long. I mean, even for being around, I mean, you're not that long compared to other brands. You, it's, you seem like you've done really well. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And you've also been named 100 most influential people in cannabis by high times and, uh, you know, entrepreneur magazine. Is that all from your work, um, advocating uh, for the plant as medicine? You know, I think it's a number of things back to the comment about the brand. Just, there is that cachet that comes with the brand and that, you know, gets a lot of eyeballs on what we're doing, but We've done a lot of other things that, that kept us in the mix. You know, I think Entrepreneur Magazine was really driven a lot by the fact that at the time was when Baltimore manufacturing was really maturing up in the industry and a lot of the processes and, you know, techniques that are pretty widely used today didn't exist when we first got started. So uh, our team of, you know, guys that have been working on this since it was in the backyard all the way now today where, you know, we do this in some of the highest quality labs for manufacturing of any industry uh, have been tinkering on it for just so long. And then <clears throat> we, we do uh, do a lot of advocacy work, you know, in Pennsylvania and California uh, predominantly, you know, we, we were super involved with the legislature and the regulators way before the program started. And, you know, I recall being in Pennsylvania, you know, while those regulations were shaping up and just, you know, working with the caucuses and the people that were doing the hard work of putting pen to paper and saying, look, you know, we have some experience here. At the end of the day, we don't know whether we'll end up getting a license or not. We hope that we will, but more than anything, we just want to contribute to building a sustainable industry that focuses on the patients so that this can succeed in the way that it needs to most. You know, again, economic benefit, tax revenue, all of that is well and good, but it all falls a little flat if we don't remember that we are standing on the shoulders of people who are suffering and, and deserve access yeah, to these therapies. Right, exactly. And um, how do the Moxie products stand out from the rest of the products in the marketplace? Is, is it the extraction process? I, I read that you do a, some sort of a freezing technique. Is that something that's unique to you guys or? You know, it, it isn't cutting edge anymore. Although when we first started doing it in a very meaningful way across multiple states, it, it was not something that was widely used. You know, people have caught on to the trends, particularly consumers, which drives, you know, operators to, to produce those products. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, because we're viewed as manufacturers, kind of look at it like, oh, the secret sauce is in the manufacturing. And for us, we've never really looked at it that way, even though, you know, in the early days, there wasn't a lot of groups that had the know-how that we did. But it's, it's more holistic than that. Because to have a great manufactured product, you got to have great inputs. And, you know, for the longest time and still uh, largely today, we cultivate most of what we process as well. And so, you know, you can't put bad stuff in and get great stuff out. you got to have it, you know, from seed all the way through to extraction. So that's one of the big differentiators, too. And having control of the value chain like that has uh, allowed us to really um, cultivate some very interesting strains, uh, some that we've, you know, acquired through the network and in, in the sector of 
you know, friends and colleagues that we've worked with for, for many years who've been on the mission of preserving these genetics, and then some that we've actually bred ourselves, taking you know, strains that we love and, and doing actual phenotype hunts to create new, uh, new unique cultivars, and, you know, some of which are very unique to us and others are, you know, uh, what we like to think of as collaborations where we team up with another breeder and, and combine something of ours and something of theirs. And um, interesting enough too, you know, we're, we're at a weird crossroads right now with strains where um, the, the re recreational consumer market is driving um, a transition to more of an objective analysis of quality, namely through like potency. And what we're seeing is that a lot of the really, really, for lack of a better word, magical strains that are out there are uh, getting lost because the consumer, you know, largely thanks to the retailers today, they're undereducated on, you know, what makes uh, a great chemical composition of the plant. You know, just a high THC count uh, in no way, shape or form should be considered an indicator of good quality. And just to, to drive that point home, you know, I think some of our favorite strains of old that um, really aren't in the mix anymore would test very low on potency, but the, you know, the other elements, the aromatic compounds and the, the broader chemical composition within the plant was what created such a pleasant product or a great therapy. So we're, we're at a weird crossroads in the industry right now where, um, you know, I think Cannabis is not necessarily getting better from a, a medical or a therapeutic standpoint, although our understanding certainly. Right. Yeah. I, I know there's a big trend right now on the infused pre-rolls um, just because the demand seems to be the high THC consumer. And um, I know I want to do a better job myself in educating um, the consumer on what terpenes and, you know, the combination of elements of the plant are better than just going for the high THC. Uh, that, that is a trend. Are you doing um, infused uh, pre-rolls at all? Yeah, we do do them on occasion. Um, usually it's kind of like a special, um, special promotion, usually around an event. At the end of 2020, we did our F2020 infused pre-roll, basically, for the uh, adult use market. Hey, <laughs> Here's a, a nice big fat pre-roll with some really great concentrate inside of it to just cap off what a ridiculous year that, you know, we've all experienced around the world. And those, uh, those were pretty popular. And then, um, you know, the thing that we've tried to stay away from on the infused side of things is to your point, like there's a, a huge demand for something that's got a really high potency number and you can drive that with not the greatest components inside the pre-roll. So we've tried to stay away from just chasing those numbers uh, to get the, you know, the interest peak to make sure that whatever we're, we're putting inside of the product is, is going to stand up but at the end of the day. It's got to be something that all of us that are involved in the company would want to use. If we're not going to want to use it, then we're not going to make it. Right. And your expansion um, and working with um, different partners in different states. So are you vertically integrated in California or? Yeah, California allows vertical integration and we are uh, vertically integrated from the cultivation all the way up through wholesale of branded goods. We're not involved in the retail side of the business today, although it's definitely something that we're exploring. Traditionally, you know, before the market kind of matured in California, we really favored the wholesale end. Um, but as the market is getting tighter for margin and, um, you know, more laborious in the way of regulation and taxes, 
uh, we're, we're seeing a need to really control the shelf. And so, you know, what we know and do great is product. And so we've been looking at, you know, opportunities to team up with retailers that recognize their own need for, you know, additional vertical integration and see where we can find a one plus one equals three situation. Um, and then we do have, you know, what we take generally as more passive interest in retail businesses uh, throughout the rest of the country and we try to stay focused on our, you know, section of the value chain, which is that cultivation, manufacturing and, and branded goods. Um, you know, picking partners that have the same value set. You know, everybody kind of sings the same song of, you know, why they're in the industry. But at the end of the day, what drives a lot of decision making, particularly as the industry grows up and gets more capitalized and more institutional funds come into the space, is the economics. And so one of the biggest challenges that we found as as everyone gets squeezed and, you know, in a down market, margins get tough and revenue gets flat, um, is, is getting paid. You know, it's uh, we're in that situation where we really have to trust in our partners that they're going to compensate us for our services. And, you know, when um, when P&Ls get tight, oftentimes that becomes a, a challenge for people. And, you know, in California, even just in the retail market today, everyone's got, um, you know, slim margin to work with. And so uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you find that you put a lot of product out there that's been sold and you're having to chase it down to to get your money, which is tough because you want to keep the product available for the customers, but you know, you still got to make payroll. But how about, um, what, what are some of the awards that um, Moxie has won? It's, I think I read 90, that's amazing. Yeah, I think we're, we're a little over a hundred today. And you know, it's, it's a lot of different things. We just recently won a couple of superlatives at a fairly small San Diego event. Um, one was for best overall concentrate. We also won for best packaging. Uh, one of the things we did at the uh, start of 2020 was commit to using uh, sustainable packaging because so much of what the cannabis industry does just frankly is not environmentally sustainable. When you think about it, uh, by and large, we're growing plants indoors instead of under right. the sun. So in addition to you know, substantial water needs, now you're, you're a huge draw on the grid. And I, I see estimates all the time that the cannabis industry in uh, the United States is uh, uh, representing about 1% of the total power consumption in the entire nation. And, you know, that's, uh, that's not insignificant, especially when you consider that it's still relatively early days. The, the industry is going to continue to grow. More cultivations are going to come online. And so we, we took the, the position that we need to do what we can where we can, you know, particularly as uh, certain products like vapor cartridges where there's a lot of natural resources that go into the production of it. And then in addition to that, the product itself is inside of, you know, a plastic or metal cartridge that, you know, is coming from China. So we thought, all right, you know, there's certain things we can't affect, but, you know, making sure that we're using recyclable, sustainable packaging is one of those. And then still trying to make sure that it's beautiful and that it looks great on the shelf and is appealing. To right. Yeah. There's so many areas where, where we could be uh, um, more eco-friendly for sure with the water regenerative farming and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, are you um, also trying to enter the New York marketplace or the tri-state area? Uh, we're definitely interested. It, we're playing a bit of a wait and see model right now. It's, it's interesting to see the, you know, I think it was even just this week or last week that there's been some more information come out on how they're going to be approaching the social equity side of things, which uh, is a huge driver of new licensing programs. But additionally, 
you know, since the uh, announcement of adult use, there's been a pretty significant crop up of black market operators, um, particularly within New York City, and not much, if any, enforcement. So, you know, seeing what we saw in California and Michigan and some of the other marketplaces that had a, uh, a robust gray or black market, we decided that uh, we, we need to see how the state really plays it out before we jump into something that might have conflicting sides of, of the Oh, that's so interesting. Right. I know it's going to be really tough. Um, it's as if the licenses have been given out. There's weed trucks everywhere, people selling out of like the food style trucks. Uh, setting up card tables in parks, uh, very blatantly out in the open. I've read that you're also in over 40 countries. Is that through CBD or? No, so we, um, as I mentioned a little bit before, we spent a lot of time in the early days producing new strains. And so when we had strains that were, you know, ours that we loved, we actually were licensing out uh, the IP to those genetics. And through the international marketplace where seed sales uh, are legal and now actually interestingly enough they appear to be according to the DEA legal in the United States uh, which is new um, we were selling genetics that were able to, to make it all around the world through our distribution partnership out of London and um, we haven't been doing that for the last couple of years as the regulations in the United States sh shook out we really take a very conservative approach to how we approach new markets and the gray areas, because at the end of the day, we want to be here for the very long term, and so we don't um, we don't mince our our values with uh, with the need to to drive growth uh, when it, it potentially runs afoul or is just not clear on on how to be regulated. And just to give context to that, um, we received the the very first state business license in California. And when that happened, the you know unregulated but still legal medical market was uh, still out there in California and ended up persisting a lot longer than I think was initially intended by the legislature. Um, but we actually you know pulled all of our uh, product and IP and uh, services out of the marketplace until January 1st, 2018, when everything was fully in a licensed and regulated environment. And so that's the approach we've taken to. Uh, basically everything that we do because you know we we want to be above reproach we have a, a very rigid set of three core values and you know the first one is we, we're pioneers we are on the cutting edge of stuff and we're doing things that no one's done before but the second is uh, that we're role models and we got to do this in a way that sets the bar and you know we're in an industry where there's a lot of abuse of the system and a lot of desire to just make money and uh, oftentimes at all costs and we've really uh, tried to stay focused on staying away from that and uh, you know back to my earlier comment just remembering why we're here how we got here and, and who we have to thank for that and and we try to honor those people and that narrative uh, through our actions and how we uh, play within the regulated environment you know on, we're only in our allowed to be in our borders and when you're expanding to the different states to be able to ship your seeds to where you're opening up shop next is is extremely important. So that that's that's really good. important to your product, I guess, or to your brand. So anyway, um, it was really interesting learning about your background and product. And uh, honestly, <laughs> it makes me much more fond of Moxie just hearing everything, what it stands for, what you're trying to do. Um, 
my guess is that's probably how you're building your brand is through all these the same messaging of what you're saying today is if, if you had to say what how you think you're building your brand awareness across the United States um, what do you think is the driving factor you know uh, nothing beats organic is our position uh, in cannabis advertising and marketing is you know just like everything else in the in the business very tough you're very limited on you know what you can do things that you know like a normal brand would be able to do to drive awareness just simply aren't aren't there you know back in the day you could have a lot of good traction within you know, social media and then as time has gone on um, the algorithms that the various platforms you know have instituted really uh push cannabis down to the bottom of the list for whatever reason they don't want their platforms being you know covered in in plants which is unfortunate because it's, it's such a great way to connect with consumers but nothing nothing really drives uh, awareness and love and growth better than getting something great into someone's hands and them them telling their family and friends about it because when people get into cannabis there's just this passion that ignites in most people and uh, at the more of a mature consumer you become, the more that you really can discern the differences between, you know, good and great product. And so when you get something that really stands out and speaks for itself, um, you know, the consumers kind of carry the torch for you from there. Right, right. Okay, wow. So great to meet you. And um, maybe uh, we'll meet at a trade show somewhere along the way. Well, thank you so much, fam. It was really nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.